Well, it's fantastic to be with you this morning. Um, I'm excited today as we step into week four of our Crucial Conversation series. Next week, we take a break with Mike Pill, preaching across our Sunday, then we finish uh, at the week after. And if you're new here today and you've never met me, my name's Michael. I'm excited you're here, whether online or in the room. We've got some special guests with us today because today is actually going to be a bit more of a conversation. We're going to dialogue with some dear friends because here at New Life, we want to talk about the things that maybe we sense God and the Holy Spirit putting on our hearts and saying, this is the time to address this. And today's conversation, if I can be honest, it has taken too long for us to talk about this. That I think we have been silent, particularly under my leadership, for too long. And so we want to take a step as a team. We've been praying, our eldership included, that today would be a helpful step in us navigating what it means to be a reconciling people of God in our world, wherever we are. Now, having said that, today's conversation is going to be all about reconciliation. The idea of how do we deal with our nation's past that we might move into a better future together. And to wrestle with that, I'm going to need some help. So I'd love to just, if you would join with me as we pray. Would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, whether we're online or we're in the room right now, we come before you and just ask, would you speak? Or you are the creator. You made all things. With but a word, light came into existence. We look at a day like today and we can marvel in your creation. How good are you, O Lord, our God? But Lord, you have entrusted so much of this into our care and our custodianship. You entrusted our relationships. I pray, would you teach us to be a people who see each other, regardless of skin or heritage or background, the way you call us to. But more than that, help us to be a people empowered by your grace, moving into reconciling ways for your glory and the good of this world, we pray. Less of me, more of you, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. It was a couple of years ago now when I found myself on a youth camp called Easter Madness. And Easter Madness was for the first time in my life, I spent a long period of space or long-form time with an Indigenous community of people. Now, I am what you would call a white fella. I grew up in Toowoomba amongst a white community um, from obviously a white family. And by the color of my skin, I don't tan very well. I'm very, very white. But as I sat there with uh, these Indigenous brothers and sisters, I learned for the first time of some of the horrors and the pain that I'd been ignoring throughout my life. I'd heard about them in school. I'd studied them, I'd written assignments about them, but if I was frank, I didn't really care about them. Now, as I sat down, I listened to this lady named Annie Jean, and she lovingly started to explain to me the issues that they were facing as a community. Something started to grip my heart, but it wasn't hope, it was despair. Because I started looking at our nation's history. I don't know if you've ever felt this way when we get to political seasons or, or January 26 or any of these big moments, NAIDOC week or, or, or Sorry Day or these things and kind of feel a little bit helpless. Like what, are we, what could we possibly do to fix what has been done? And I, I kind of felt like, can't we just move on? And I, I said to Arnie Jean, Arnie, what on earth does reconciliation look like for the Christian? And the next line that came out of her mouth, changed the whole way I saw this issue. And I'm going to lead us there at the end of today, but I'm going to need you to wait for that moment. 
Because for me, I believe as a church, God's calling us into this now to have a conversation about what reconciliation looks like. We live in a country that is very beautiful. And the nation known as Australia now, as a nation of Australia, is very young. But we also recognize that there were people here far before our time, many of us having arrived here ourselves with our ancestors. Before I go there, I want to remind you of something I said a couple of years, weeks ago in Psalm 24 verse 1. A scriptural truth, which is just as true today as it was when it was written. The psalmist David writes this, The earth is the Lord's and everything there in it. This is crucial for us today. As Christians, we believe there is someone who owns the whole earth. It is not me or my portfolio of property. It is God. Now, having said that, God in His wisdom throughout time entrusted different pieces of land to be cared for and in custodianship of different people. That word custodianship is so important to us because we recognize that before the arrivals, the colonizers, many years ago, there were people that God in His wisdom gave custodianship of this land. So when I say an acknowledgement of country, some people accuse me, hey, in new life, that I'm being political. Can I say, friends, I'm not being political. I actually couldn't care about preaching about politics on a Sunday. What I'm doing is I'm being theological. I'm actually trying to say to us, there's work to be done here. So when you hear me say these words, friends, I want to acknowledge today that we were not the first people here. That actually before our time, this land was under the custodianship of the Yugambe language and people group. God entrusted this care, the land of this care to, to their care for many years. And I want to pray. Would you join with me to pray for their leaders who led in the past? We pray, we pray that they continue to lead in the present. And by God's grace, may we see them continue to lead into the future. When I acknowledge that, what I'm saying is, hey, do we remember that there are people who are still fractured because of what has happened in our history as a nation. It's not an acknowledgement so we might placate or please, but that we might be remembered God has called us to reconcile. Why? Because the kingdom of God is empty if everybody looks like me. The kingdom of God is empty if everybody looks like me. This indigenous pastor once said this. He'll be on the screen behind me. He says, you can play a tune on black keys, You can play a tune on white keys, but both are needed for perfect harmony. And here at New Life, we want to play a beautiful harmony for the glory of God. We've not always done it well, but we will. We will do it the best we can. So what I'd love to do is before I invite two dear friends to the platform, I want to give you our scriptural grounding today, where we're actually stepping into scripture. At New Life, we don't start with culture, we start with scripture. and That leads us to know how to lead and live in the culture that we're in. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In the first service, if you were here, I said 15. Thank you for all those people who pointed out this was really bad. Someone came up and said, I'm worried about this church. The pastor doesn't even know the Bible. You and I both, we can worry together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For Christ's love compels. Everyone say compels. That word is central to today. However you feel right now, whether I've put you off or you're like, I'm not sure. My ask is you're a follower of Jesus. What is compelling you? If it's your opinion or bias, would you put it to the side? And may we be compelled by Christ's love to approach this. 
That's the only starting point for us. Because we are convinced, here's good news, friends, that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That we would no longer live for ourselves. What a great way to frame this issue. May we not frame it in a way where we're living for ourselves. For those of you who have already crossed your arms today, that's not how I cross my arms, by the way. Hey. <laughs> Weird. I want to encourage you. What does it mean for you to uncross your arms and sit with us in a way where it's not about you, but about us? The Bible goes on and says this, verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Duh, let that rest. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And we finish with this beautiful truth. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Friends, let me be very clear with you today. Reconciliation was a God word before it was ever a political one. And when we talk about reconciliation in this church, we're not just talking about First Nations people and Second Nations people here in Australia. We're talking about the greatest reconciliation of all, that mankind be reconciled back to the Lord their God. But we know this, that when we are reconciled back to Him, He calls us to do reconciling work, that we would be reconciled to each other, every tribe, every nation, every people group, and every tongue. And that's why we step into today. So I can't do this alone. I wonder, would you welcome to the stage two dear friends of mine, David Passy and Natalie Lewis. Would you welcome these guys? They come and join me. Now, David did say to me in the first service, he would like to move his chair a little bit so he's not so rude to the other side. So he's going to sit like that. Dad, I actually think we move our seats forward a little bit more. Should I move Yeah, too? that'd be great. Now. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me move your seat for you. There you go. Wait, you're going behind like me you're now. You're down too far back, David. I've only got one hand. <laughs> James Kazina is just dying somewhere. He's like, I set those up so beautifully. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. In first service, David was like this and he was talking to this group over here and he wanted to be able to see you all with your beautiful faces. So, David and Nat, I want to ask you first where you're from. So, Nat, let's start with you. Where are you from? Oh. Tambury Mountain, actually. Yeah, great. Okay, right. I'm a Juru woman. And so Juru is part of the Burdekin up north Queensland. And that was where I was born, up in Eyre. So uh, Juru starts at Ross River from Townsville down to Bowen and it goes inland. And on my father's side, it's Cubby Cubby, Sunshine Coast. That's my connection there. That's beautiful. And um, you said you're from Mount Tamarine, so that's where you live now. Yes, you can be country. I'm in the clouds. Absolutely love it. Now, in the first service, Nat, uh, you, you said this thing. I'm going to raise it again. Mm. You said that you're actually part of the stolen generation. Yes. And, um, and sometimes we hear that word bandied around. And so mm. many people after the first service said, we've never met someone that's mm. been stolen before. Mm. Can you tell me what does it mean to be stolen? Mm. So, um, uh, well, it's someone who's been taken, forcibly taken from their family um, and put into another culture, another nation, and that their identity is sealed. Everything of their identity is sealed. 
Um, and so you're forced to live within another culture and nation and not understand or have any connection to anything. Um, and it was originally a part of uh, the movement of genocide. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Explain that. There was an intention around why they were taking you away. What was the yeah. intention? Mm. So, um, I, th and this is the thing, is that I think um, there's two parts to this. You know, there's the good intention of taking a child in a dysfunctional uh, family um, to a safer place. Um, but then there's also the way it, it, it's happened where um, disconnecting someone from their culture and family uh, is really dangerous and harming and traumatising to a person um, and the disconnection, especially being on your own land as a First Nation person. You know, we, we um, have that connection with our family, our people. It's in with our DNA. When we walk through the land or you're especially on your country, that connection. So when you, um, all of that is taken from you, um, it, it can be really traumatising. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate Thank you, Nat. Now, you Thank have you. two names. I do. So, my, my adopted name's Natalie Lewis. Bless my mum. So, my mum was German. She adopted me in early 20s. And my dad, he was, he's Indian. And uh, he was a military man. And um, I think dad was out at exercise or something and... Um, Mum was at the home when everything happened. I was taken to the home up north. And um, uh, she'd rung him and said that because that, she'd already put interest in that she wanted to adopt a little um, Aboriginal boy, I think it was, she said. Um, but what had happened was that I'd come along. She'd rung him and said, you know, can we um, adopt her because she needs to be adopted now. Um, and he said, no, no, Heidi, this is a big decision. You just, you know, let, wait till I get back from exercise, which is military men going out and practising their, their exercises and that. Um, but when he came back and got off the plane, there's mum with this little baby in her arms. And, and that's just what mum was all about. Five dollars, the bargain. I reckon she got a bargain. Five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and David. <laughs> Where are you from, my man? The northern suburbs of Brisbane. Beautiful. So it took you about five hours to get down here this morning, so thank you for being yeah, here. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. And where are your people from, David? Uh, Kanamala, the Paru region, River region. Sorry, tongue twisted, too much coffee. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Kanamala, like, yeah, is the, it's bush, like 900 k's west from Brisbane. Yeah, yeah beautiful. And David, let's, let's launch in. We're talking about reconciliation today. That's a loaded word. What does reconciliation mean to you as a First Nations person? Well, as I said in the first service, I think it's going to the law of repetition, like it'll sink in for me too, um, that it's, it's an agreement or a covenant, a covenant agreement or contract is actually the restoration of two parties mm. that have had a breakdown, whether it be in communication or understanding. But there needs to be restoration through that. And like Pastor Michael said, it's a God word before it was political. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. So what we're talking about today is how people groups might come together and have restored relationship. 
That's what we're talking about. And that's a beautiful thing. I don't think there's anyone in this room that would say we don't want restored relationships. Uh, one thing I, I didn't ask in the first service, Nat, but the United Church is actually the only Christian denomination in Australia that has a covenant with our First Nations people. Can you explain what it doesn't mean that we have a covenant together? So, um, 1994? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, an amazing man, Charles, Reverend Charles Harris, um, travelled around Australia. He, he was with the Uniting Church. Um, he loved God, but he also loved his people. And so he travelled all over Australia to different communities and as I've travelled throughout Australia in that too, I've heard people who he actually came and spoke to um, to them because he really believed that for First Nations people, um, God was talking to him that um, it needs to be our people to help our people um, when it comes to God when it comes to community healing and that. So he really believed that he wanted to find those leaders and that the Uniting Church had this space to open up to support First Nations people. And so um, a covenant was made uh, eventually in 1994 and um, what the covenant was about was First Nations people ministering the word to First Nations people. And Uniting Church has been an amazing movement in supporting that and growing. We've had ups and downs throughout the years and learning, which is part of reconciliation, getting to know each other, building those relationships um, and long-standing relationships with ministers within the church um, and uh, allowing our people to be open to in those safe spaces. Um, not everybody um, was uh, receive, <laughs> could receive it and be able to want to build that relationship, but there was definitely amazing gems in amongst it that just, like Michael, <laughs> who would um, sit down and we'd talk and, and learn, build relationships and how can we make a better world together. And so now uh, we have, it's, it's all through Australia, but a Queensland specifically has seven congregations and they're the only ones that have that many congregations. For, so we've got Mornington Island, um, Gordon Vale at Cairns. Um, we've got Weepa, uh, Arakoon, um, Zilmia. Where's the other Should one? Have Zilmia for last. Oh, now. sorry. Yeah, because Zilmia's at Brisbane, eh? Yeah, oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, and it was just being guided. And I think also it allowed our people in these churches, these congregations, to be able to explore the difference for healing, but also how can we um, be able to learn, you know, we've got our cultural spirituality and also learning about theology and finding that there's a balance in between um, mm. and that we're all speaking about this one God. That's um, yeah, to bring our people some peace and hopefully um, healing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and interestingly, not many people know this, but actually up at Arakoon and Mornington Islands, they go through revival all the time. Like I'm talking like 1,500 people getting baptised. Um, and so, and these are these indigenous communities that have just seen the Holy Spirit move through in power and might. And um, we've actually been invited to do some partnership up with the Mornington Island community as well into the future. You'll hear about a bit more of that um, in future years to come. Let me move into a bit of a darker part of this. 
there's a bunch of um, the conversation where it, we talk about the injustices done to Indigenous people, like that, you know, stolen um, from your home, um, from, your, from your original country. And, and we, we all hear these uh, issues that, that plague um, the narrative, but they're also real. They're real people and real scenarios. But sometimes, as a white fella, in my history growing up, my thought was, why can't we just get past this? How come we have to keep dwelling on it? How come we have to keep saying sorry? Why, why can't we just move on? What's the problem? It's history. It's colonisation. And a whole lot of people need healing. Um, on the First Nations side, it's still continuing. Um, sometimes it's right out there for everyone to see, uh, but most of the time it's really subtle um, and it's behind closed doors. Um, the pain and the traumas still continue um, today. Um, and so I think also for our own people, we need to find some way of being able to heal because I don't think we can do the reconciliation thing wholeheartedly and with spirit and hand out until we find some balance between our culture, spirituality and, and the Western world and um, just being heard. I think that's it, yeah. And Nat, you didn't mention this earlier, but just briefly before I go to David with the same question, your parents... Uh, your biological parents weren't known as humans. Yeah. Can you speak into that for me? Yes. Yeah, so um, when we when we say like when you said that, look, it happened a long time ago. And why don't we just you know let's move forward? Um, it's not that long ago. My parents weren't classed as human beings. You know, and um, what were they classed as? They were classed as flora and fauna. And so um, yeah, and so that's really hard to sort of. When people say get over it, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking of my parents, that uh, and my fathers who were on living in the tin shacks on the creek, and with shorts made out of hash and sack, not even material inside until my aunt, grandma could find material, you know, and they couldn't go, um, they couldn't go to school sometimes because they had to go fish, and so there's this massive gap. And it's still there. Oh, for First Nations people, um, we're still in the back of the football field there. You know, there's this big, big gap and we're expected just to keep moving forward um, for where everyone is, but there is a big gap and it's not spoken about. And so I find for First Nations people is that we will fall over ourselves to learn a language that is foreign for us within a community um, we will fall over ourselves to get into positions of power to be able to then be heard and our stories be heard. But the thing I feel is wrong with that is that there's humbleness just goes missing. There's no humbleness from a Second Nation person because I, I sort of feel that then you don't have to make the strides to understand where somebody of that is coming from because we we are constantly striving to make sure we learn your language so that we're able to communicate with you, and and in that way I, I sort of think it, it makes me sad yeah. because when I go like I've, I I travel around to different communities and I see amazing communities like I'm an urban girl and they know that they call me city girl, um, you know but um, when I go there. Um, 
I wish that sometimes people, it'd just be lovely if I could just pluck one person, Second Nation, and put them in the middle of a community out mm. west because then you would know how it feels because we're up here, but it's hard. It's hard to step into a place where majority is not seconds people because our culture is so different, the way we communicate. So we, David and I, sitting up here, have to adjust the way we speak to you and the way we sit and we talk so that we can communicate what we feel in our hearts and spirits um, that uh, we need to speak to you for you to receive so we can have some sort of relationship together. Yeah, and that, thank you. Thank you for doing that for us. That's beautiful. David. Before, before I answer, the, you know, it's the same question, right? It's a Just point. So you know, David and I are actually students together. We sit in the back of our classroom at Formation up at Uniting College and um, make a lot of jokes. So David's, David's a good man, but he's got to probably call me into line a lot today. I'm not here to make jokes. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but um, I just want to address the elephant in the room. Um, Normally it's me, but there's no peanuts here. But what I really want to say to you is there needs to be what's happening this morning. I can feel it within myself and within the spirit and the life of the church. There's a tension here. That's the elephant I want to address. Because what I can feel in the atmosphere in the room, I'm sensitive to people's emotions and even frequencies and vibrations because of the blessing of the Holy Spirit in my life. Whether you believe in the spirit or just solely the word, that's fine. Talk to Pastor Michael at the end of this. But I'm going on record today. If it's recorded, that's even better because I probably won't be invited back. But <laughs> the thing is, the thing is this, I just want to address this tension in the room. Like you're all sitting here all nervous. I mean, at the end of the day, you might need prune juice when we finish the service to relax yourself. I mean, the thing is, you need to come into this place where, look, politics, that's all good and well. I know I'm not a politician. I'm studying to be a minister in the Uniting Church, a reverend, yeah? So at the end of the day... So at the end of the day, you decide whether or not you want to bow down to political correctness or do you want to walk in the identity of a son and a daughter of the Most High God, will you actually come into reconciliation for your own self? Not because you're self-obliged or because your workplace said, oh, we need cultural awareness, we need cultural training. So at the end of the day, you've ticked the box, but you're still walking around with with an awkward thing, yeah, in your spirit and in your heart and in your mind. And then you feel guilty when someone comes into the cultural awareness or the training because you're a second nation person and you feel, oh, I don't want to to be offensive because it's politically correct. At the end of the day, let me remind you of something. Anything that is politically correct will bite itself in the backside anyway. So there's no point in doing that because what I want to say to you today, figure it out for yourself. Work on your own salvation, your own walk, your own sphere of influence because God has called you to Make change, to bring change. You are people of influence. So at the end of the day, what I want to get you to understand is that don't feel bad about being yourself and don't jar up or take away the very fabric of who you are, whether you're a second nation person or a first nation. Like I'm getting sick of the change of terminology. When I grew up, it was just blackfellas. Yeah, yeah, so I just had enough. And, And the thing is, just be yourself this morning, just breathe. Can we all just have a breath in together? 
and, and don't forget to breathe continually, especially, <laughs> no, 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 because if you're in settings like this and you're not breathing, you'll obviously turn blue and pass out. I mean, the church has insurance, but at the end of the day, you'll still have to go to the hospital for lack of oxygen. But, um, sorry, bro, just, just this lastly, how do we feel now? Can I, can I just get a show of hands? Who feels much relaxed within themselves after addressing the elephant in the room? Wow. That's all, bro. But yeah. Tell me about what... The answer? <laughs> That's yeah. it, yeah. And we're done. Um, why can't we get past it, mate? What needs to happen in our nation? You said it in the first service. I think, it's, I think you need to say it again. There is a spiritual wound within this nation, within the heart of this nation. What separates and divides people is a lack of understanding of love, care and nurture. Those three words are pretty much imminent in the forefront of my mind in this season of life. The thing is, Australia was settled by the British Empire. Convicts came, they did the work, they served their time. But at the end of the day, the country was founded on a penal society or a penal colony. They actually work for the British Empire. Most or majority of people actually have lineage back to that convict history. But also in that, there's a lack of identity within the First Nations people because of that wound. All in all, without a father or a maternal or paternal figure in your life, and if you, if you class as not having parents, you're an orphan. So in my understanding and context of being within the kingdom and within the tension of political and natural climates, there's actually this thing of an orphan spirit. How do you identify as a son or a daughter of the Most High God or an orphan? But at the end of the day, like I said in the first service, you can get infrastructure, you can get governance, you can get administration and money, but at the end of the day, you're just pouring it into an empty pit. Because at the end of the day, First Nation people aren't under KPIs. I mean, when I first rocked up to a job, they said, oh, we need this done by you. I'm thinking, what the heck? I've never been under key performance indicators, so why would I be now? And why would God do that to us? At the end of the day, it's grace, not performance. So do all the best you can, put in good intentions, but remember, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So at the end of the day, let, let it be a thing of, conviction or a thing of your heart and your understanding, not forced, not obligated or controlled or manipulated to the sense where you lose the fabric of who you are. That's beautiful. Tell me, tell me a little bit in that, how being a Christian has strengthened or, or shifted your, your understanding of identity. You are an Indigenous Christian woman. Um, what, what, is, what has Christianity done to your sense of identity? Um, oh, okay, so... <laughs> so I told you my dad's military and uh, we one of our postings was up in Bowen, North Queensland and I became um, an altar girl. I absolutely loved it. Got to go there and pedal on my bike over there and get in there where the priest was so I could get my clothes, you know, the cloth that you'd had to wear and um, walk up with the cross and sit there beside where the father was and do all that stuff. I absolutely loved it. Um, still didn't really, though, I was young and I was getting confirmed and I didn't really understand 
uh, what the word, what Jesus, what all of that was about. But I just knew I was with safe people and I loved going there. Especially when one of the fa Father Black, he was my favourite because you'd have to, back then Church of England, you'd have to kneel up and down all the time. You'd have to kneel when you're getting your bread and your wine. And Father Black was my favourite because I'd always, he'd give the biggest mouthful of wine out of all the rest of the past fathers. So that, that was one good thing about going to church. But um, I, we, we'd moved back to Brisbane and I'd sort of just church and, and God sort of disappeared. I, not God, because I used to go and walk in nature and um, I was learning about certain things spiritually as well. Um, but when I came back to church... Um, I still didn't get this thing of this Jesus and, and God. I sort of, my heart felt it, but I just wasn't sure. So I started going to theology classes and one of the colleges that I absolutely love was Noongalingya College and it's up in Darwin. And so this is where a lot of First Nations people studied as well um, from Northern Territory and that. So um, I was the, the golden star in amongst the, the blackness because they were blue, black, like these people were black, black. And I thought I was, and it wasn't until I went up there. Uh, and they taught me, they taught me that how to be able to, as, in, it, as I've seen in your, came a few weeks ago and talking about that tension. And I thought this is what they taught me was about with God and learning to understand the theology of Christianity. But also then they were teaching me stories of our song lines in that. And then we're sitting the stories and the scripture up side by side and realising, and it just dawned on me, we're talking about one God. We're talking about the same God. And some of these stories in this scripture, it's the same stories of my people from thousands and thousands of years. Um, so I just wanted to keep learning I, because this to me was the link between what sometimes our people call their white God to um, our, our cultural spirituality. And I just thought I, this needs to be shared, not only amongst Second Nation people, but I wanted to share and learn for First Nations people to understand there is no two different gods. There isn't this one and that one. If we actually learn to listen to each other that there is one God, he's always been here um, and the law was always, has always been here too. Um, and so I think it comes right down to just conversations like this and listening and hearing each other's stories, the commonality that we have that God isn't human, he's God, and that he's omnius. So, you know, he exists everywhere. Why would he not be looking after over the other side of the world another culture as well in the terminology of what they would understand? But if we sat down, listen to each other's story and sort of break down those boundaries and limitations we put on ourselves as Christians and understand he exists everywhere. It's beautiful. And that you were saying that you had to go, to, I love the first service you said, I had to go and see that the stories of Jesus were your stories as well. Totally, because I really didn't want to. I was sort of digging my heels in as I was learning because the thing was is 
if Jesus and the Bible and God didn't mention anything about my people, if I couldn't recognise something that was going to help me and my people and that we were in there somewhere, I didn't want to know about him. I really didn't because I just thought, it, what's, why? Why would I? But it wasn't until my beautiful elders and Yabba sisters there showed me that, um, that connection and that we've known him all along. He exists in us. We're not that far colonised as Aboriginal people on this land. And so our DNA and that, that spirit is very strong still. And I think that's what confuses our people. You know, we're urbanised, we're this and that, we're everything, but it's so strong within our blood and DNA, the connection with God. And I feel for me... I'm constantly fighting against that because I don't want to lose my connection. Mm. I lose my connection with him, then I'm just going to be falling for everything and anything because yeah, right. he's the one that guides us. He's the one that tells us what season, what weather, when to go, what to do. We're full of gratitude. Mm. That's how our culture lives. We were always full of gratitude for our creator and we relied on him. We didn't have to think about anything and who he was and what he was doing because we were just children that just relied he would supply all good he'd tell us where to go send the message of an animal or the weather the season what we need to do we were totally reliant on him and then for another culture to come in and take over the top and take and stand in between that connection and to change the view of what our connection is and question it, we never had to question it because he just was and he just is. And so I think that's why when I come to church, I wait for the message. I come to church just to hear the message, um, but um, I do struggle sometimes because I think, please don't take away what I already have, but I know he's coming through and he's going to give a message. Yeah, it's beautiful. David, same question. Yeah, it's beautiful. And one of the things I'd add to that, Nat, which you know you added so beautifully, I know the work of YWAM does it a lot when they step into cultures now. They don't go in and say, we bring God. They come and they say, where is God already at work? Where's God already at work? And they partner with God who has gone before. He doesn't come with. And that's a really important theology. God is everywhere. We go places and go, God, what are you already doing? No, what do you need us to do for you? And that's such a beautiful thing, and, and, and I love that you bring that out. David, same, same question, my friend. How does the Christian identity shift and change your identity? That's my phone, David. I'm so sorry. You go. No, you're not. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the thing is, identity is a big thing, especially in this day and age. But at the end of the day, I'm comfortable admitting my Aboriginality or my First Nations or Indigenous. See how crazy it's getting? Well, I'm just willing to acknowledge that, yeah, I'm a black fella, all right, um, in regards to with a, with a Christian heritage and to throw a spanner in the works that Christianity is actually not the white man's colonisation. Um, last time I checked, God was... Uh, father for the Israelite children, was it sister? Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is that it's a Jewish God that we serve and under one banner because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he's led us as Gentiles as well 
but I'm a black Jew by circumcision of the heart. Says. But that's answering your question, Mike, I hope. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it does, David. What you're saying there is that we've got to recognize. I might no, actually not going to say because that sounds like I'm. Well, I said it sounds like I'm white splaining to you, which isn't it. But what I love there is the idea that you're trying to tell us, you're sharing with us, you're showing us that God's not white. That's right. God's not white. God is God, and He's the God of all peoples. Yeah, and that's so important. I love that. When you think about what it means. Nat, for us to meaningfully step into reconciliation. If you had one thing, I had to go away from this today and I'm going to do one thing. We were short on time. We got one minute. What would you, what would you, what would you say <laughs> practically? Do we vote for a political party? No. <laughs> oh, we won't get into that. <laughs> no, no. Um, I just think, you know, you, you meet one person it's really good. Richard, I was telling someone this because um, Richard Cassidy mm. is um, a minister up in Palm Island, Aboriginal minister for church, and he explains it really well to start off with reconciliation. If you don't know an Aboriginal person and you meet one, he said it's pretty much like finding your car of your dreams and you go to buy it because you think this is so cool. You go put the key in, you're driving down the street and all of a sudden you're seeing your car everywhere. And uh, it's pretty much the same as meeting an Aboriginal person. You'll meet one and your eyes will be opened and then all of a sudden you realise you've been surrounded by them all along. And <laughs> you just, it wasn't in your, yeah, yeah, that's it. So, yeah. That's beautiful, Nat. <laughs> I want to, you know, Nat, one thing I would say is um, I want to honour Nat and David. They'll talk about me as if I'm a good friend of theirs. I'm not a very good friend. I wish I was a good friend. But every time I see Nat, she'll be like, you and me have history, Michael. We go way back. I'm like, Nat, you're way nicer to me than I am to you. You're like, you know, you, you're always so generous and loving. David's always first to come say hi. If you ever want to be prophesied over, just come ask David. He'll lay hands on you and pray for you. But you know what the thing I've realized is, is that they prioritize relationship far more than I do. They care about me far more than I do. I ring David. He'll be like, Pastor Mike, how are you, my friend? I've been praying for you. I, mean, I haven't spoken to you in five years. Why are you praying for me? And the reason why I say that is relationship is where this begins. 90% of Christians don't know an indigenous person. But it's not because they're not out there. It's because we live in our echo chambers of safety. And now you've met two beautiful indigenous people. There are another two down the front. I'm sure if I asked who are the Indigenous people in this room, there would be more. And the idea, this starts with not politics. This doesn't start with getting the right things or acknowledgements of country. It starts with relationship. David, if you were to say, what's the hope for the future you have for our nation? Um, if you check the last recording? No. <laughs> no, no. So, um, no, no. It's, it, it's just, uh, I guess, from a perspective of seeing the kingdom come on earth and the Father's will be done, that everyone within the nation of Australia come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's it, bro. That's it. That's beautiful. Nat, would you add anything to that? I, I think I, I like to, when I'm talking to Second Nations people in that, if you don't come from another culture and you're pretty much an Australian um, Second Nation person, um, I really encourage you to, if you're finding it hard to sort of be able to, this reconciliation and blackfellas and all this stuff, I, I, 
I really encourage you to actually go back in your history, find out who your ancestors are. What are the battles that your ancestors had to go through? Um, because that's what we're talking about here. Um, and and when you find out what who and your ancestors and the blood and the struggles that they had to go through, and then to be here in a beautiful place like Australia and full of gratitude, you know, and realise that your story is my story and my story is your story. We actually do have a lot in common. Um, but to find out who you are first... Um, and then we can talk. And I'm hoping that we all be able to do that, sit at the table. And my vision is for First Nations people to be able to sit at the table um, and, and speak open and honestly um, from the heart and all for one. Mm. Um, and yeah, one mob, one heart. Amen. Mm. Nat and David, I say this not to be derogatory, but you are far more than flora and fauna. You are beautiful images of God. Remind me of our creator. Thank you so much as brothers and sisters for joining us today. Can you please thank these friends? As the band comes, I just want to finish with a couple of thoughts. If I'm honest, friends, reconciliation is messy. It's not simple. Like any relationship, it takes time, it takes effort. Anyone that says to you, all we need is a treaty, all we need is a sorry, all we need is a, doesn't understand. What we need is a people who will journey together. A people who will be brave and bold enough to say, whatever it takes, we'll walk hand in hand. This painting on the screen behind me is made by a lady uh, whose name is Jasmine Roberts from Waka Waka Country. And it's made with these words placed next to it, and it's invitation. Will you actively participate in bringing about friendship and reconciliation? Will you listen to my songs? Will you walk with me? Will you help me find truth? Will you help me seek justice? Will you please, please, please take my hand? You know, I want to finish today by suggesting a really simple way we could do reconciliation next year, controversially. January 26 is a really politicised date in our nation. It's Australia Day. Now, when I said this in the first service, I saw some people get offended. So I just love you. Would you stay with me? Be compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. Did you know that Australia Day, which we celebrate with a barbecue, wasn't always celebrated with a barbecue? Many years ago, they would actually reenact the first settlement, including on Australia Day, making Indigenous brothers and sisters reenact massacres. So when we talk about Australia Day being about patriotism and our brothers and sisters remember on that date that their ancestors were forced to reenact their own culture's murders, it, it rests a bit heavier than just, why are you taking away my barbecue? Now, Michael, you going to ask us to change the date? No. I'm going to say when we look at January 26, it can't just be about putting another shrimp on the barbie, right? It's got to be more than that. Because we are not first Australians. We are first and foremost sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. That's our first identity. So when we come to January 26, is our question, God, how do we operate in the kingdom way? And as Christians, we have a really beautiful tool. It's called lament. And lament is a way where we can come alongside people who've been hurt and grieve. 
say, this hurts. Let's pray together. Let's weep together. Let's, let's, let's be in this pain together. What if next Australia Day, Invasion Day or Survival Day, you begin with prayer and repentance? Wow, two really good Christian things. I think, man, that, that motivates me. In fact, this is John Dixon's idea. It's not mine. A white fella from Sydney, Sydney Anglican. He says, why don't we begin Australia Day with lament and repentance? And then if you need to, have a barbecue in the afternoon to celebrate where our nation might head. But in this way, we remember that this is a country for all peoples and we're a part of a kingdom of every tribe, every nation and every tongue. Friends, this is complex. But I think if we walk the way of the Christian, it can be simple how we might be compassionate and loving and kind. What might that look for you today? May we be marked by reconciliation. This church, this church, I pray, will not be filled with white fellas. Maybe filled with white fellas and black fellas, all kinds. Now I realize I've just said that on camera. So I hope you're right there, David, that the PC thing's not going to come back and bite me in the butt. You won't have to be here. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, brother. So friends, would you stand? I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing. We want to sing a happy song. Because you know why? Because God redeems stories. Many years ago, a young girl named Jeanette. What was your first name? Janelle. It was stolen. But now today, she is an Indigenous Christian leader who's able to sell her story in a way which redeems her story. And we get to celebrate what God is doing and has always been doing. May we pray together as we remember this God. Would you bow your heads with me? Oh God, before you, our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, we remember that we stand on holy ground. We acknowledge the stories of this land. We acknowledge the peoples of this land. We acknowledge the law of this land. We acknowledge the languages of this land. We acknowledge that this land and her peoples are in need of healing. Give us compassion to hear and to feel the pain of lives torn apart, to hear and to feel the pain of land that is damaged and mistreated, sold to the highest bidder. Give us conviction, oh God, to name where we benefit from the dispossession of first peoples, to see where injustice has taken hold and to not look away. Give us the courage to listen, to see, to feel, to name the pain, the loss, the theft and the resistance. May we be inspired by truth tellers, justice seekers and peacemakers in every age. Oh God, our God, turn our inaction into action as you turned into action in Jesus. We pray this in his name right now. Bring reconciliation to this land in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Friends, there's nothing simple about this issue. I'm sure some of you have stories, thoughts, ideas, but here's the truth. We serve a God who has been in Australia far longer than any of us have been. He's the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We call him Jesus. Let's worship him together now. Let's sing together.